All right. Uh, I forgot just to mention that we do have a just a pot, little bit of a pile left of these invi invitations, these postcards for VBS. So if you have kids in your neighborhood or uh, grandkids or whatever you would like to invite them to, there's a out in the foyer. There's a, a few left, so you feel free to grab those and be able to hand those out. Again, that's tomorrow uh, at Talfus Park Shelter One, starting at 2 p.m. Uh, the team from Mississippi came last night to our worship service. We have a worship service on Saturday night, and uh, they came, and we were able to uh, be introduced and see them face-to-face, -face and they're super excited and encouraged to be here, and um, so we're encouraged by, by them spending all their time and vacation hours and money to come out here to minister and help us minister to our community. So um, if anything, please be in prayer for that, that God would, would use this opportunity to... Um, to teach truth and to spread the gospel. All right. So we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, the wonderful, encouraging book of Ecclesiastes. Right? Uh, okay. No more jokes. We're now on, I promise. Uh, Ecclesiastes is an Old Testament book. It's written by the, the, uh, the, uh, the King Solomon. And we talked about this last week was our first um, sermon in the series. And we went through Ecclesiastes chapter 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11 in chapter 1. And we saw and we introduced to Solomon. We saw that Solomon was given wisdom by God. God came to him and said, what do you want? He says, I want wisdom to teach your people. And so we know Solomon has a lots of wisdom. And the narrator introduced us to the problem that this book is trying to address. And that's the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life under the sun? And he gave us a, a chiastic poem and, and all these things. But this morning, we're going to be introduced to Solomon. Solomon's going to be going for no longer the narrator, but he's, he's going to be talking to us in first person. And what he's trying to demonstrate to us in verses 12 through 18 is the limitations of wisdom. God asked him what he wanted, and he said, I want wisdom to be able to teach your, your people. And so we know Solomon has been gifted with wisdom. But I think it's important that before we get going in this uh, passage of scripture we need to define terms what is wisdom what does wisdom mean and instead of just trying to read you a, a definition from a dictionary i've kind of been mulling it over and what i see wisdom is is how we understand um and how we how we uh live our lives out um in light of of what we know to know to be to be true our beliefs that we have, right? And that is lived out. Our beliefs are lived out in our life. And so wisdom is, is taking our set of beliefs and then, and then using those beliefs to, to, to be present and to engage culture, to, to have meaning and, and to know how to respond to life circumstances. And so these beliefs are, are the foundation in which we, um, we engage the world. It's the 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 beliefs are how we go to our marriage or or our our family, how we interact with one another, and those beliefs are based are are fed off of of the truth that's been revealed to us. Our beliefs that we hold true, that we uh, live out in our life, are affected should be affected by truth. And what truth do we, we hold to? affects our beliefs and then and in that sense it affects how we interact with this world and so we have this wisdom this definition of wisdom i had it all lined out perfectly in my head this morning and it's completely gone so i'm just going to keep talking 
trying to... <laughs> so this wisdom is this life experience. Uh, so we have these beliefs that are, are, are based, are fed by truth, and then we, we play that out, and then we know as, as we live our lives out, right, we know what holds to be true, what our experience holds us to be true and good versus what is not. And so wisdom comes by having our belief system fed by truth and then using it in our experiences. And, and so when we look at the older generation, we say they have a lot of wisdom because they've had a lot of time to garner what truly is necessary to have a good life and to interact in society and to interact in your family. Ken and Carol have been married over 20 years. They have wisdom to, gain, to glean from, from what it is to be married. And all of us who have been married or that had broken marriages, we've all gained wisdom out of that because we've taken our circumstances, we've taken our beliefs, and through experience, life experience, we've gained wisdom. And we've seen what is true and what we wish we wouldn't have done. And to be able to glean that wisdom and give that to the next generation, so important. And so that's what wisdom is. It's, it's, uh, it's understanding, having an understanding of how to engage this world in our relationships. And Ecclesiastes is specifically talking to us about the way he's going to, in the verses 12 through 18, Solomon is going to give his wisdom that God has given him, this gift of wisdom, and he's going to apply it to, to trying to understand what the meaning of life is under the sun under the sun. And so I just want to go back to this thing of wisdom and, and, and truth. So the, the problem and the reason why I wanted to preach on Ecclesiastes, even though it was written in the 10th century BC, I think it's just so uh, uh, important for us today. It's so present in our culture. And I think the reason is, is because this truth thing, right? Christians, uh, the Jewish, the Judeo-Christian ethic, we, we have, we hold to an absolute truth standard, that God has revealed his, the creator of all things. He's given us this truth standard. And as society turns and rejects God, and they begin to define truth in their own terms, that truth that feeds into their beliefs and builds their beliefs, right? It's everything under the sun. It's just, it's whatever they, is true in their own eyes. And we see that in our society today. As society, secular society, increasingly gets further and further away from God, closes the doors on God, rejects God, and and uh, uh, um, it's, uh, we, we see the consequences of that and the beliefs that people hold in our society where everything goes, where the traditional definition of marriage given to us in Genesis is completely trashed, where now we're at this point where gender is up for grabs because no longer are we holding to an absolute truth given to us by our creator, but now society says whatever is your truth is your truth, and that belief feeds into their beliefs, and that's the paradigm in which they engage their lives and the meaning of life. And I think it's pretty easy to see the destruction that comes and falls upon a culture and humanity as they reject God, and that's what we ended up with last week as we concluded that Solomon obviously has a belief in God, but he's writing this letter to demonstrate that if our life is just what happens under the sun, outside of the purposes and meanings of, that God has given us, then it is all vanity. It is all futile. And so it's gonna, we're just going to travel through this book and, and ask God to, to show us and demonstrate to us how important it is to keep God at the center. If you don't have anything from this sermon this morning, I pray that's the, that's the point you take home. 
God must be at the center of your life. God must be in his purposes for your life. Must be at the center. If we are to gain the meaning and the true meaning and purpose of our life, he must be at the center. And so Solomon is arguing in the negative as to why living life outside of God and his purposes is all vanity. It's like grasping at air. And so let's go ahead and get into it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. The word of the Lord says this. I, the teacher, this is Solomon referring to himself in first person now, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have been all... I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, have found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. Just thankful to be able to be here this morning, God, to enjoy this beautiful day that you've given us, to be able to assemble together, Father, together, and to be able to sing praises to your name. Father, and now to be able to open up your word, um, the meaning and source in which you revealed your truth to us, God. And we're so thankful, Father, that you revealed who you are, and not only that what who you revealed yourself to be, but what the purpose and meaning of life truly is. We're so grateful. And we just want to come before you the, this morning, Lord, and ask that your spirit would, would do a work in each and every one of our hearts, Lord, including myself. We desperately need you, Lord. I, I have no wisdom to garner. I can only provide what you've given us to, uh, in, your, in your book, Lord. And so I just pray that your spirit would use this, take this opportunity to, to work in each and every one of our hearts, that we might glean truth and not only be hearers of the word, Lord, but doers to, to take what we've learned, Lord, and try to apply it to our lives through your enabling power. We just ask, Lord, that whatever is said may be pleasing and honoring to your name, that I might be a vessel used for your glory. And I ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so we have this just another really encouraging passage of Scripture, right? This is the, most, the, the guy with the most wisdom says, I, I use my wisdom and life under the sun is just vanity. It's all folly. It's all just like grasping at air. Oh, here's the meaning of life. And I remember before knowing Jesus, that, that's where I, I, was, I was searching. I was a searcher, man. I wanted to know the meaning of life. I wanted to be happy with my life. And so I tried this out, and right, it, it failed, and I tried any, all that stuff. And I, I'm sure all of us have these, those, those testimonies. It's like trying to grasp at air. If you just have the definition of life, what it means to have life under the sun, it's meaningless. And we... Um, Paul or uh, Solomon says here in, that even as you apply wisdom, he, he uses his wisdom. And he he can't find any meaning outside of God as well. And ultimately, we, we're going to get to to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, and that's what Paul or Solomon ultimately concludes. Right, that there is a meaning and purpose of life, but it has to do with something other than just what is happening under the sun. It has to do with God's purposes. 
that's the spoiler alert. So um, if you want to know the end of the story, you can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and, and Solomon will tell you what the true meaning and purpose of life is. But we see here Solomon applies wisdom in verses 12 through 13. I, the teacher, he's the gatherer of wisdom. The, the teacher, um, your version might say preacher. Um, he's a gatherer of wisdom, and he, he's charged to disseminate wisdom. Have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, so he's given us his credentials here. He's a, he's a gatherer of wisdom, and he's the king over Israel. God's placed him in that position. I applied my mind to examine all and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. And God has given people, God has given people the, this miserable task to keep them occupied. That's his conclusion. That everything that's done under the city, God's given them this miserable task to keep them occupied. It's almost blasphemous, almost. And it's so, uh, um, and we see here, and let me just give you Solomon's conclusion. So he, he says, I can, I've concluded this in verses 14 through 18. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun, and I've found everything to be futile in pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me. My mind was thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. And so he's speaking to those who, who claim or think that they have lots of wisdom, right? Maybe they have a lot of letters behind their name. And they have a, a their, their, their brain is, is far more sharp than the average Joe. And, and, so, and they have life experiences. And, and so he's speaking to those and he says, look, I have a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And I still find life under the sun is meaningless. Verse 17, I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is the pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. And as knowledge increases, grief increases. And so we see here a stark contrast to other scriptures, right? As Christians, we know that the, the scriptures declare the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and there is purpose and meaning of life. And so what is this book doing, and why has God given us this book? And as I mentioned last week, I really feel like God has allowed, or God inspired this book and used Solomon to show us and to argue us, argue the point from the negative that without God at the center, there is no meaning and purpose. And that's the message that as the church we want to give to our society. Right? There are so many things I want to fight against that our society is, is f- perpetrating right now. But I, I really feel like if we don't address the, the presuppositions, the foundational understanding of where we get wisdom and where we understand what is good and, and right, if we all have truth that is, we can't agree on, then there's no sense. We're just fighting with one another. This is, this is the foundation of change. To put God at the center to live for him, to understand that he is the absolute truth bearer. He's given us truth that we absolutely stand on. He's promised to preserve it in his word. And that is what we stand on, his truth, his revealed truth, because he is our creator. And if we don't have that as a society, then everyone, well, the evidence is before you. But change comes through getting people, reaching people, with the understanding of the gospel that God has created and he has meaning and purpose in life. But it's not about how happy we can be. It's about his purposes and his glory. And as we seek that, that is where we find joy and happiness and meaning. 
as opposed to just living life for our own sakes. So we see the stark contrast in Ecclesiastes versus other scriptures, right? Specifically, specifically, can someone, I don't know if any of my daughters are up, can, can you give me a thing of water? Thank you. Uh, specifically contrast as it pertains to our purposes in creation, right? The contrast that we see Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes saying, like, everything that God has given us under the sun is just burdensome. When we see in Genesis a very different story, and I have these passages of Scripture so that you and I can read what, what God, when he created, how, how wonderful and good it truly was. And how it's, what a stark contrast to what Genesis says versus what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes can be seen. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Thank you. Now I don't have an excuse to trip over my tongue, so... Okay, so Genesis chapter 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. The, the R is the, the, the beautiful first manifestation of the plurality of our one God, the, the three persons that exist as one in one essence and one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on earth. And so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given everything, every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then the morning, and that was the sixth day. And so God has given us his account, right? That's what God has done in in our scriptures here. He's he's revealed who he is, why we're here, why you have breath this, this day, this hour, this minute, is because God has created this creation, this universe. And we don't have to wonder of who our God is because he's revealed himself in his, his specific revelation. In his word, he's told us how this world would begin. He spoke it into existence. In the beginning, God said, right? Let there be light. God created this, this place that we find ourselves in, and he's, he didn't stop there. He's given us the meaning and purpose of life in his revealed scripture. He's given us the understanding of why this world is so messed up. He's uh, all these things that he's done for us. It's just uh, amazing. And he, but he's also given us the rescue mission, his, his plan to rescue a people from their sin and trespass and from them, their own selves. Right? Adam and Eve's ultimate act of rebellion was ultimately wanting to rule for themselves and not be dependent on God. They wanted to be in control. They wanted to have the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be like God. 
And so God didn't just leave that there. The consequences we'll see, the consequence can be seen in Genesis 3. God said, there will be, you will die if you, will, if you disobey. And he said to the woman, and so we know, that, we know the story, Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. And so God comes, find them, finds them hiding in the garden, and he gives them the, the result, the consequences of their sin. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And so what that means is this perfect union, the man and the woman becoming one flesh as God has designed marriage to be, right? There's now going to be rifts, and it's going to be hard. There's going to be contention, and we see that bear out, right? God God asked Adam what has happened. He said, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. Right away, he starts throwing blame, right? This perfect union of man and woman is now torn asunder, he goes to the man, and that, he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of, of you, and you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. I was talking last night about, Tara and I, we got this gumption to, to plant a garden, and we, were so, we worked so hard on getting the soil prepared and buying all the stuff that you need and planting and, and all that stuff. And I know a lot of you have a green thumb and stuff, but for Tara and I, it was a nightmare because we began to water and these weeds began to come up. And so we'd go out there and we'd pull diligently. And next thing you know, more and more weeds are coming. And next thing, they just take over our garden. And there was a couple heads of lettuce that survived and then a whole bunch of weeds. All right? And this is what it's speaking of. In the Garden of Eden, everything was provided by God. They were completely dependent on the Father. He provided for them. And he says, look, because your sin, because you chose to sin and, and disobey the command, you now have consequences that your offspring will bear. And that's where we find ourselves, with nothing but broken relation, not, not Nothing. There are some good relationships, right? But lots of broken relationships amongst families, amongst um, uh, husband and wife, amongst communities, amongst nations, just conflict. But we know why, because God's shown us why. We know that what happened, the consequences of the fall, is the, what's happening today is the consequences of the fall. In verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. So, I, it's, hey, it's not that I don't have a green thumb. It's just because the ground's cursed, all right? It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. So he says, just as I created Adam, right? He, in the, the creation account, he takes dust and grabs dust, and he breathes life, creates Adam. Since you were taken from it, it says, so you will eat by the sweat of your brow, until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. And so that's the consequence of sin. And so he's saying the death that comes is not only a physical death, but it's a spiritual death because this, this 
um, as, Roman, as Paul says in Romans, this death also uh, occurs in this separation between man and, and God because of sin. God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. He is holy. And he told them, if you partake of the fruit, if you disobey my command, you will be dead. You will be separated from us. And so Paul says in Ephesians and and the scriptures declare that we were born dead, separated from God and our trespasses and sin. And that's some really bad news. And we see the consequences of the sin playing it out. That God is certainly not at the center of our society. They increasingly want to get rid of God and deny his existence. And so the consequences of the garden of the fall are still being played out today. But there's some good news. God's not done. God's revealed in his word that he was going to send a Messiah, someone that was going to, through the promise of Abraham, come live the, 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 the law, the standard, the holy standard that God has set forth in the Mosaic Covenant. He was going to live it perfectly because not only was he a man, but he was God himself. God incarnate, God came down from heaven in Jesus Christ, took upon the form of a servant and lived that life for us. He lived it perfectly without sin. And he did so. So that he could go to the cross and die for sin. And be punished for sin. Not his sin, obviously. But for the sin of those who would believe. That through his accomplished work, his vicarious, his vicar, he stood in our place. He went to the cross as the spotless Lamb of God and he took the penalty of sin on our account for us. That's some good news. The bad news that we find in Genesis is repaired and restored and redeemed in Christ Jesus. And the prophets of the Old Testament prophesy of this Messiah who would once come from the tribe that he would come from, from the lineage he would come from. Being born of a virgin, all these prophecies of who this Messiah would be were ultimately fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Amen? What an amazing God we have. He's sent Jesus to die for us, to take our penalty for what we truly deserve, that sin that we were born with, because we're the lineage of off, uh, and the offspring of Adam and Eve. We were born separated from God. But God has sent His Son. And that's why the virgin birth, birth is so important, right? Because He's not. Jesus isn't the lineage of, Ab- of, of Adam. He was conceived by the Spirit of God. He's not, doesn't have that same sin problem that we do because he was God in the flesh. He went and died so that our holy God can, he's, if he's truly just, he must punish sin. And so he punished Jesus on our account. And Jesus died, but then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. He had victory over sin, over death. The consequences, you shall surely die, right, in Genesis Jesus had victory over death because he paid that eternal penalty because he was eternal God one time. He paid that one time. Something that would take all of us, if we were to have to pay that penalty for our sin, all of eternity to pay for, to be punished for violating his sin, he paid it one time because he was eternal God in the flesh. And he's given this beautiful gospel to us. And all we must do the scriptures declare again and again is believe it. Understand why we need Jesus, why we need the Messiah. 
understand that Jesus loved us so much he went to the cross and paid that penalty for us. And if you will turn from uh, and abandon hope and all the things and trust in Jesus' accomplished work alone, the scriptures declare if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You must believe. You must count the costs. Right? I have a lot of Christians in here that have been following the Lord a long time. There's a cost to pay to follow Jesus. But it is well worth it. Because in Jesus comes meaning and purpose in this life. But getting back to this contrast that we find in Ecclesiastes, this king of God's people saying, look, it's just laborsome and it's all vanity under the sun and we see this contrast in Genesis we see that ultimately Ecclesiastes shows us the consequences of the fall right Solomon's writing as the natural man in the natural order and it says this is what life is all about if we don't have God in the center and God as, as for its purposes there's also a contrast as it pertains to wisdom right we see him saying, look, I have all this wisdom God has given me, and it's all vain, it's all vanity. And that's a stark contrast to other books he's written, like Proverbs, written by the same author, the Proverbs of Solomon. Proverbs 1 says, son of David, king of Israel. And here he says, wisdom's good. For learning wisdom and dis- discipline, for understanding insightful ways, for receiving prudent instruction in the righteousness, justice, and integrity for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced. So we need to teach wisdom to the, the, the young. Knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase in learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise, or, uh, sorry, for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so he says, wisdom is good. We need to teach wisdom to the younger generation, to our sons and daughters and, and, and those things. And so here we have Solomon saying, wisdom is vanity in Ecclesiastes, but saying no wisdom is good. And so what is the difference maker? What makes the difference? What is the difference maker? Why is there this contrast? And this is the difference maker, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. He would go on to say in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord, putting God at its center, allowing Him to be the purpose and meaning in which are driven, allowing Him and His truth that He's revealed to us as the meaning in which we inform ourselves as to how we live our life out and our belief system. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so here we are. This is the crux of the matter. We're living in a society today that has abandoned God and rejected God and and is now at the point where uh, we are quickly becoming the enemy of society because we hold to a true standard that they no longer believe in. But we stand firm because we place, we have a greater fear in our Lord than what man can do to us, right? As King David would say. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So that's the crux of the matter. Putting God and His truth as the basis in which we inform our beliefs to live out our lives. And through experience, we garner wisdom as we set those, extra, those beliefs into, uh, into play in our lives. 
And so that's the, hopefully we have a good understanding of what Solomon's doing in Ecclesiastes, but I always want to try to bring it to, a, to an application for us today, right? We, we, can, we can take that and, and draw some things, but what about the New Testament context? Because again, God's revelation, he's progressively revealed his redemption story. He started with what's, what happened, the, the reason why we have sin and, and evil and all that darkness in this world and all that stuff. He says, we know that he's promised the Messiah. We know in the New Testament, Jesus shows up, declares himself the Messiah, demonstrates his, his power over creation and the miracles and raising people from the dead and healing the sick, all those things. And then also salvation, how we can be pulled out of the first Adam, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, and adopted into the last Adam, the perfect Adam, Jesus Christ. And that adoption occurs when we receive by faith this gift he's extended to us in Christ Jesus. That if you believe and trust and the Spirit regenerates you, then you are pulled out of the first Adam, adopted into the last Adam. We are now the children of God. And so we have this New Testament context. And so for us, in this wisdom, as we try to understand and use God's wisdom for our lives, how are we to engage wisdom for us? And James speaks to it in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, and so I'm, I'm reading this to you. If you're doubting, if you have a crisis of faith, if you, if you are trying to understand what truth is, and you need wisdom. The scriptures declare if you ask, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. This asking, though, comes at this. But let him ask in faith, believing that if God spoke this place, this creation into existence, and he's revealed himself, and his, who he is, and, and the meaning and purpose of life in this instance, then we must, by faith, believe that he is so. And we're not to doubt that. We can't just add God to another list, a long list of uh, people who teach wisdom, fleshly, worldly wisdom, and then we'll add Jesus and God onto it as well. It's exclusive. His rescue mission is exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's what God has revealed to us in the scripture. And so we, we know that we are to ask by faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind, that a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So the one who's wishy-washy. No, we, we by faith trust in God's promises that he's revealed in his scripture the promises that, and that are found in Scripture, we can trust because he's promised to preserve it for us. Uh, the, the, uh, Isaiah says, The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of our God shall stand forever. We can trust it. We can trust the promises. And so if you're lacking wisdom this morning, in the New Testament context, for application for us, go to God. I need wisdom. I need your truth to, to, to affect my beliefs and so that I can have wisdom in, in circumstances. And in this specific instance, for the meaning of life, that's a big one, right? But we can go to God for, and ask for wisdom in our marriages or in our family or, or how we encounter people that we're struggling with. We need God's help. We can't do it on our own. 
But in this specific instance, for the meaning of life, I have good news for you. God has given us his answer as far as the meaning of life and how the wisdom that you need for the meaning of life. He's revealed it to us in his scripture. And it's here in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. You want to have God's wisdom and the purpose and meaning of life. He's written it for us and preserved it for us. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We sung that old rugged cross this morning, right? Because we know that's where the sacrifice took place. Where Jesus took the penalty on our behalf. And Paul says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. This worldly wisdom, those people with a bunch of letters after the name saying there is no God and they scoff at us for believing such a thing. Where is the one who is wise, he says, and where is the teacher of the law, he says, and where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom... The world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Amazing, isn't it? God was pleased to save us by those who believed the gospel message. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness, right? He said he already identified what was foolish, the preaching of the cross. He saved those through the foolishness of what was preached. Verse 22, for the Jews asked for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. We saw that as we were going through John, right? The, the, the Jews kept saying, show us a sign, show us a sign. How many signs does one need? Jesus showed them plenty of signs. But they still disbelieved the greeks seek wisdom but what do we do as christians but we preach christ crucified and that is a stumbling block to the jews and it is foolishness to those who have the wisdom of the world yet to those who are called both jews and greeks scythian barbarian slave male or female I added that on. That's not part of the scripture. Sorry. That's in other scriptures. Christ is the power of God and what? The wisdom of God. God has given us the wisdom of the meaning of life, his wisdom, and that wisdom is found in Christ Jesus because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than a human strength. The purpose and meaning in life. You want wisdom from God, he's given it to you. The purpose and meaning in life is found in having a relationship with Christ Jesus and allowing him to save you from what you truly deserve and placing you into the family of God. 
And then through the empowering of the Spirit, who, who the Spirit comes and then dwells the hearts of the people. And now we are the temple of God. All these other things that we've been talking about recently with the temple series and the tabernacle and why we don't have temples and tabernacles. And we now know because we now know that Jesus or the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ dwells in our hearts. And we are the temple of God. And through his empowerment, he changes us and transforms us day by day as what? We put God at the forefront. That Jesus Christ may have preeminence in all things. And as we live our life with the truth of God and allow the truth to affect the beliefs that we have in this life and apply those beliefs, in our, we inquire into this world, right? That's the true, true transformation comes within the individual and within society as God does what he does with the gospel. Some good news. We can get pretty discouraged about what's going on. But what are we focusing on? Fear God, for that is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Put him first. Live for him. I'm pointing to myself here. It's so easy to get sidetracked. And if the first step is to, to live for him, is to be one of his to be saved from your sin. And so I pray that today, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you never encountered Jesus and allowed him to pay your penalty in full, I pray today that would be the day you just cry out to him. Jesus, save me. I know I fall short every day. Come and save me from what I truly deserve. Jesus paid your penalty for you. And if you call out that name, I testify to you. I did that 15 years ago now in a church service similar to this. And here I stand, all the more convinced that Jesus did what he promised he would do. For he who promised is faithful. Let's pray to him. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your, your good news, your salvation. We're, we see the bad news all around us, Father. We see the consequences of the sin. We're so grateful that you've sent us a Savior to redeem us and restore us back to you, God. We thank you when we just... My heart's prayer, Father, is that we take what you've done for us and out of uh, pure just uh, a love back to you and appreciation for what you've done, Lord, that we would yield to your spirit who dwells inside of us, that we would be all the more like Jesus as we allow the spirit to fill us and to guide us in our lives, Father, that we might reflect your love and your goodness and your good news to those in this world, Lord, who desperately need to know you and to hear the good news. Help us, Father, to be the church you've called us to be and desire us to be through the power of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. We're just going to have a time of uh, invitation. This is a time where you can interact with God personally. If you would like to come forward and receive Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to be able to show you out of the Word of God how you can, by faith, receive Him as such. Please stand.